Hi, I'm Brent Stafford, and welcome to a special live edition of RegWatch by RegulatorWatch.com. Many critics often accuse the World Health Organization of maintaining obsessive and paranoid secrecy regarding its conference of the parties to the WHO Framework Convention on Tobacco Control, which brings together tobacco control representatives from over 190 countries that have signed the international treaty. However, with the recent postponement of COP10, the 10th session of the Conference of the Parties, perhaps we should consider adding incompetence to the list of criticisms. COP10 has been originally scheduled to take place in Panama from November 20 to 25 of this year. However, according to FCTC organizers, security concerns in the host country forced a postponement, disrupting travel plans and causing significant inconvenience for over 2,000 delegates, observers, and proponents of tobacco harm reduction. And joining us today to talk through the COP10 postponement are two longtime friends of the show, Lindsey Stroud and Martin Cullop from the Taxpayers Protection Alliance out of Washington, D.C. Thanks to you both for coming back on the show. Thanks for having us. And we're more than friends, we're fans too. So. <laughs> well, and that goes both ways. Uh, so, hey, it's been a crazy uh, past couple of weeks, but we did get some news earlier this week that I guess is good news, and that's the dates for COP10 uh, for 2024 have now been set for February 5 to 10 again in Panama. Let's start with Martin. Why should supporters of nicotine vaping and other safer nicotine products care about COP10? Well, I think it's well known amongst advocates that there are serious threats presented uh, by this conference. And when we know that because they're, they're the documents they're providing uh, to, to parties to the delegation, because this is the conference of the parties and the parties are national delegations that are going to be making decisions. Um, the, the files that they've been sending them are full of threats where they are advocating banning flavours, banning open systems. Uh, they've, they've got um, uh, one document which is um, on disposable vapes. They've got another document on uh, um, nicotine pouches. They want to redefine smoke, which is probably the most alarming and absurd proposal they're coming up with. And and this is got a, this has got a reason behind it because they need to define vapor as smoke so that they can bring it into the remit of the FCTC treaty. Um, they also want to um, ban nicotine salts being used in vapes. And, and I think what's most significant about this whole thing is that there's very little in this conference and on the agenda uh, on actual combustible tobacco. It's almost like they've just given up on that. Um, uh, so there is a concerted effort to, you know, uh, put their fingers into into harm reduction products and to try and try and ban those um, because they just don't like them. You know that's all. That's all you can say, really. And and the reason for it is is they they have a, an aversion to industry. Uh, they see these products as being promoted by the tobacco industry. They see them as being invented by the tobacco industry, which isn't true. It was consumers who who um, who took the idea of vaping products in the first place and um, um, improved them. And many of the, uh, in fact, all of the early businesses that were producing vapes were people who were consumers who decided to set up a business on the back of it. I don't think uh, a tobacco company got involved until about 2012, 2013. And that is 10 years after they were invented in China by Hon Lick. So um, it's, I, they, they, they don't seem to want to accept the benefits that vaping products can bring. They don't want to accept any benefits from harm reduction whatsoever. And the, crucially, what they want to do is treat all of these products exactly the same as combustible tobacco. They want plain packaging, they want high taxation, they want them banned for use in public places. All the things you see with tobacco products, which they're, 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 they've um, implemented across the world, they want the same for all these products. So it's a very real threat, um, and, um, and it's one that we should take very seriously. Lindsay, uh, TPA, the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, had plans to be in Panama in full force with an event called Good Cop, Bad Cop during COP10 week. Tell us about that conference that was supposed to happen. 
Yes, Brent. Unfortunately, you know, me and Martin didn't get to hang out last week in Panama. Um, so uh, the good cop, bad cop. Um, obviously, we were hosting a good cop, um, this conference of the people, so to speak. But I, we have more than just people. Um, it was to be a war room, slightly conference style event where we gathered um, experts from over 15, 16 countries, over two dozen experts um, to kind of just be a rapid response to all the what's coming out. Um, as Martin kind of explained, consumers, the science um, are left out of these discussions at at COP10 when, you know, when determining the policies on these products. Um, and so, you know, TPA has long, long been a leader in promoting harm reduction. And um, I know when I started back in 2021, our my boss is like, I want to do this. He's been wanting to be doing this, like, since he's gotten involved with harm reduction and having an event to counter the narrative. Um, so we had gotten, as I said, yeah, uh, our over two dozen experts. We had um, consumer advocates. We had some who's who as far as science goes, um, uh, the, the scientists goes, um, and then we had a lot of the policy people who've done work around the globe on this. Um, on this, and so we were going to be. It was set up to be live streamed, um, re reacting to what's going on, and also having a little bit of like discussions on just the various issues. I mean, we had a handful of experts that were from countries that have you know banned e-cigarettes. We also had a handful of experts from the UK, you know, which while they're being they're under threats right now, it's, they've long been, you know, one of the leaders to look for, for um, look towards um, in regards to promoting harm reduction. So um, I was looking really forward to it. It's really sad that like it's all kind of postponed and, um, you know, hoping with, you know, with February, a lot of it's still again, planning a conference. I mean, we were so, we, we found out that they got it canceled because um two weeks prior because of the um the the they were having issues on their end with the event planning um company and and we were kind of joking that we were like oh you know we were more prepared to go than the who is um but now that we know that you know now that it's been postponed we can see the difficulties um it is and you know maintaining a hotel and maintaining that presence so Hopefully we're coming back and we're doing it stronger. I'd like to see more experts, um, you know, and then we got we got a lot more um, a lot more attention towards it, like the last month. And it's like, yeah, you know, if you would have came to us like six months ago, we definitely would have penciled you in. So, you know, for anybody who's listening, make sure to reach out. Um, definitely hopes to be kind of a flagship event. Um, and I know we got a lot of positive feedback because nothing had really been done like that um, in this regard. So. Yeah, no, yeah, it is a bit sad. Um, and let me uh, share with everybody a uh, quote from the Venerable Clive Bates regarding the postponement. And he says, the problem for THR is that everyone who was planning to go to Panama to represent the consumer voice, albeit from outside the meeting, will lose money they have spent on travel and hotel bookings and have no redress. And I think that's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of the kind of the impact. So the disruption is big. Oh, it's huge. And I think that also, quite, I like that you pointed out that quote, because, I mean, you were looking at it from our THR advocates and our perspective, but I think about these low middle income countries, you know, that they're on the foot for this as well, that they had, you know, the delegates going out there are also out without, um, I think the WHO did do like some partner hotels. I remember reading it that they were like, you know, we can get your hotel cancel canceled for you at no cost to you. And I was like, of course you would do that. You're going to help us out, you know, but, um, <laughs> but it's, it's, it's just, it was a complete waste of money. I mean, um, when you think about the conference really being a waste of money in terms of they're, they're not promoting harm reduction, um, a lot of people, not even just our, we had our event. I know there was other events going on. I know that some of the opponent organizations also were planning events. So this really, you know, messed with a lot of people. And then they did it. So it was like, so abrupt. It was like two weeks before the, the conference was to take place that they finally announced it. So um, incompetence, a really good way to put the WHO at this point and completely just um, lack of transparency and, also just kind of inefficient too if you think about it i mean i don't know if this would be an organization that i would look to for guidance on anything to tell you the truth so and Mark, it's also, got to be, it's go also got to be noted that that you know we we've um we've had issues because of this postponement but the who was meant to be bringing 1500 delegates to this conference and if i was those delegations i would be furious 
um, is they're using taxpayers' money. They have to account to the people in their own country about what's happening with their comfort, with their uh, delegation and the money they've spent. And 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 you have to realise they've all planned for that week. They've planned to set their positions for this conference. They've they've chosen their delegates who would be available at, at that conference in that week. So there are a lot of serious problems that these delegations are going to have by having to reschedule for February the 5th to the 10th. You might find some delegates who aren't available. You uh, They have to go through the whole process again. They might find that they've got you know problems in their own country where there might be a change in opinion since uh, in February between you know what they were going to plan to approach the conference in November. There might even be new governments. You're talking about 190 odd countries. Um, some of them might be having elections. I mean, New Zealand's just had a change of leadership. Argentina's had a change of leadership. So these positions have all got to be reviewed. This is a lot of work, and I, I'm sure behind the scenes there will be delegations and delegates who will be furious at the WHO for doing this at such short notice. Yeah, what can we say in terms of about the excuse, the excuses? I mean, it, is it credible, the security issue? So I guess the deal was is that there's been building protests going on about a Canadian mining company as pulling out, you know, hundreds of millions of dollars worth of copper um, in Panama, and very little of that, at least, is suspect. The suspect here is that very little of that is making it to the regular Panamanian. So, you know, they've been protesting. Is it is it a real security concern? Do you think? I, I hate to say that the WHO can't be trusted, but um, we know the WHO can't be trusted, and and I don't buy that for a minute. I have to say, I mean the the protests were about four or five kilometres away from the com conference centre, um, a convention centre. They they were largely dying out around the time that they made this decision. But we do know that they had big problems with a consortium that was running the organization. They, they had been given a contract by the Panamanian government for $4.8 million, uh, which caused a big scene in, in the summer in, in the country. There were, there were people in their medical, in their health service who were saying, look, we haven't got enough money for incubators and, and scanners and things like this. And you're, you're paying these people $4.8 million to come talk about tobacco. Um, you know, what, where are your priorities here? So there was already an unrest about that. And then the, the consortium that was running it um, went to the government and said, look, we're having problems here. We're having issues with the convention centre. We're, we're finding we can't do it for the money that, that, that you awarded us. We'd like some more money. And because of the problems the, the government had already with awarding this, and it made national news, they, they said, no, I'm sorry, we're not going to give you any extra money. So the consortium pulled out. And that seems to me a much more valid reason why this postponement happened than, than the, the unrest up the road. Considering at the time of this, uh, there was a convention going on in the convention centre, which was to do with robot gaming or something. And they had loads of kids from all over the world there. They didn't seem too, too worried about it. They seemed fairly confident they could have their event without um, having you know hordes of people besieging the place and causing violence. But the WHO apparently didn't do that. Um, and, and, you know, why couldn't the Panama government have said, look, we can provide you 500 marshals to make sure you're all safe? It just, it just doesn't stack up. But what does stack up is that they've just lost the organiser of their conference just two weeks, just over two weeks before they were organising the conference. That seems to me much more believable for the reason for the postponement than, than the reason that they gave. Let me ask you, Martin, I mean, does the WHO here have a good track record in terms of picking countries to host a COP? Well, that's the thing. If if they would only choose, you know, more stable countries, but they 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 want to they chose Panama um, because obviously they've got this this index of of uh, which are the best countries for enforcing their empower regulations, which is basically ticking boxes and, and applying rules. And Panama's done them all. They they've they've got all the the traditional tobacco control measures that you'd expect. They they have high taxes, you know, cigarette smoking banned in in public places. In fact, I think they banned vaping in public places. They banned nicotine pouches. They ban everything. So they they ordered this conference them as an example of tobacco control, um, quite forgetting that about ninety percent of tobacco sales in the country are illicit sales. So they have a huge, huge black market. Um, 
which kind of really says the whole story about the WHO and how they approach things because they, they're only interested in implementing laws. They never look at the outcomes of those laws. So you'll find countries like Sweden a bit further down on their, their index of, of implementing policies and they get downgraded, for example, for allowing products like snooze to be sold. Uh, and yet we know that snooze has led to the, uh, Sweden having by far the lowest smoking rates and the lowest smoking related diseases in the EU. So they get downgraded for not banning products which are helping public health. So it's, it's bizarre. And, and, you know, if they held it in a, in a more stable country, they wouldn't have, have this problem with Panama. But Panama um, is just an example of where they've they've chosen the wrong countries before. You know, the, I mean, in 2014, they chose Moscow. They went to Moscow. And just a couple of months before, the Russians uh, downed a passenger plane over Ukraine. And Margaret Chan, who was then head of the FCT, uh, of the WHO, sorry, uh, was then seen going over to Moscow and having tea with Vladimir Putin, which coincided with an Ebola, Ebola outbreak in Africa. I mean, it is totally absurd. Um, you know, and then, of course, they went to New Delhi. I, I went to COP7 in New Delhi and I, I, I witnessed this amazing smog. And that just made them look absurd, too, because they were going over there to talk about the dangers of vaping products when 20,000 schools had shut down in the city because of the smog. And it's, they said it was like uh, smoking two packs of cigarettes a day or something. I mean, it, it, you know, why not choose some more stable and solid countries? And you probably wouldn't have these problems. But that's the WHO. That's the WHO. Um, Lindsay, let me ask you then, you know, so far, what are the plans for good cop, bad cop? in february is it gonna be the same hopefully uh you know i mean a lot of things are still up in the air but hopefully they're a little bit uh bigger um like i said we got a lot of uh a lot more attention to to our uh event um the month prior like the month going on leading up to it so i know that there was a lot of people who were disappointed that they couldn't make it and so i'd like to see some of them out there i'm not going to give their names out you know i don't know if they want to be <laughs> that much <laughs> affiliated right now before anything's happening um and i think it gives also time for the consumers to actually contact their their, their policy people their policy makers in the country to urge their delegates to listen to what the, the WHO is not saying. Um, it's unfortunate that, you know, this misinformation surrounding um, nicotine and, you know, different the differing tobacco products, um, it's so ingrained now um, and that, you know, I feel bad. I don't go out and these these people, that, that these members of these, you know, these, the, of the party of the FCTC, they're not bad people. They, they really, they truly think that they're helping by reducing smoking um, rates. What's unfortunate is that, you know, the WHO is so steadfast in harm reduction. Um, I mean, like, as Martin was saying, trying to do the uh, change it from smoking or, or redefine the definition of smoke so it would include the va uh, vapor aerosol uh, just so it can go be part of the treaty because that's the way that the treaty is written. Um, but I think I, more times always better. OK, it, it means that they're not doing any decisions. It means that, you know, that they're not, you know, coming back and, you know, on, you know, over the holidays planning you know i'm gonna go get big tobacco and i'm here's my new bills for banning all these products so um and who knows what's gonna happen i mean like if they already had the problem you know as martin was explaining with the event planning yes they have a new date but they already had a date they had that date you know that was already set in stone a couple of years ago and that you know got postponed so that would really be terrible if it, they had to postpone it again. I mean, but maybe that's their goal right now. I they think that we're getting. I will. I will say, like over the couple of years, because it was it was uh, TPA that really kind of got me more involved internationally with vaping, and then you know working with Martin. I mean, he's, he's pretty much a cop ten expert, and I still think that this year that there was more attention to to the to the conference than in the, the year prior. I mean, and granted, the year prior was virtual and everything, but still. Um, I think that they're. I think there's more scrutiny coming out of the WHO. And I think it's a combination of things. I think that, that I really do think that the one good thing that that, that COVID, if you can't, then COVID's terrible, guys. I'm not endorsing it or anything, but it did kind of show it brought more scrutiny to the World Health Organization. We on we on the tobacco world and have been saying it for years. You know, finally, you know, people who don't smoke can actually agree with it. 
Yeah, so people who don't smoke that aren't involved in this R issue here got to see the corruption and uh, malevolence of the WHO. And that's commentary, by the way. That's my commentary. Um, <laughs> now, the postponement. Uh, so 2020 got postponed, of course, because of COVID. It went virtual in 2021. And for, in 2021, they were supposed to be talking about tobacco harm reduction and unveiling a whole bunch of nasty stuff. And that got postponed to this cop. Um, so, I mean, is there any benefit uh, for those that are advocates of safer nicotine products because of this postponement or is it just delaying the inevitable? Yeah, I, I think as, as Lindsay said, it gives us more time uh, to, uh, I, we've been saying all year, you know, contact your, your, legislators in your country your politicians or however you, you you know how your country works better than we do and and get hold of them and say look you you need to represent our interests when you go to this meeting but there is one small benefit as well because they did have to hold some sort of meeting to go through their legal duties so they had a, held what they call a de minimis meeting um on the twin uh, so it was the last two days i think of of when they were supposed to have the COP10 meeting, but they had to do that, set their budget um, and do the, the legal niceties, if you like. And to do that, they released the list of participants. So we now know who the delegations are, who's on the delegations, and it gives you someone to email in each of your countries because you have the names. So ordinarily, they don't release that before the conference. Um, I think for COP9, it, it was published about two or three days after the conference has started. So you now have a list of participants and you just have to search WHO, FCT, FCTC, COP10 participants and you can find it. It's, it comes high up on the Google list. So it, whichever, your country, whichever country you're in, if you find that list, you know who is going to the conference, who is going to be representing your country's interests and you know who to write to. And so you have right up until when it starts to write to them and make your feelings known, tell your stories, say how you really want them to stand up for harm reduction when they get to COP10 and reject some of these ridiculous proposals that the WHO is, or the uh, Convention Secretariat is putting in front of these parties. And you always have to remember that the parties going there are the ones that make the decisions. The WHO can't make the decisions, it's the parties that make the decisions. And if those, if the parties make the decisions, there's absolutely nothing the WHO can do about it. So yeah, it gives us an extra couple of months Take if when when you're off over Christmas, send a few emails out. You know, find out who your who your uh, representatives are and write to them. So there you go. It does give us a slight advantage, um, which we wouldn't have had before. Thanks for that, Martin. So yeah, it's it's definitely crazy. I mean, you you want to wring somebody's neck, but they won't even let you into the meeting. <laughs> <laughs> so RegWatch, of course, <clears throat> excuse me, in partnership with TPA had been planning on doing some live coverage in early November uh, for COP10 week. And of course, we will be doing that again uh, if these dates hold still uh, for the Good Cop, Bad Cop live coverage in partnership with Taxpayers Protection Alliance. And that will be the Monday, February 5th through the Friday, February 9th, if all things go well. So I guess moving to, I, I think that we're done with the postponement. Does that feel like, was there anything that, the one thing that I did want to ask is, Martin, you had sent me some pictures of consumers that did actually show up in November. What's the story with that? Yeah, the Latin Americans um, who, who went there, they, they had all their accommodation booked and they had their travel booked and they decided to go anyway. And, and the, uh, they were quite good pictures. They, they went and... Um, just presented themselves at the at the convention center, um, and I'm glad you showed the pictures. Yeah, and they they put on a good show, uh, but we know they're going to be back. They're going to be back in February, but that just shows the determination of consumers right there because nothing was going on, but they turned up anyway, and and they'll be more determined to come back in February and 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 do the same thing again. The the thing that WHO underestimates is the strength of feeling of consumers. I mean just when we were organizing good cop um we we were getting consumers who were, who were saying they would crawl over broken glass to get there uh, they want to make their voices known they're, they're sick to the back teeth of what the who is doing they want to turn up you know and i'm i'm 
a veteran of other um, consumer accidents. I was I was there ten years ago when we were fighting the EU in Europe, and I know that consumers are very determined to make their voices known, and they will really relish the opportunity of going there. So they'll be back. Uh, we'll be back, and um, and as Lindsay said, um, there were people who weren't available when we first uh, were signing up uh, experts to go to uh, so to our event in November. And some of them have become available now and would like to go. So if anything, we should have more representation, more common sense, more academics, more um, people speaking on behalf of harm reduction. So I'm, I'm quite excited about going in February. And um, yeah, it's going to be it's going to be fun. Lindsay, I any, will, any, yeah, go yeah, ahead. I was, yeah, I will say I was really excited about the week before the WHO had announced their, that they were postponing it, they had the FCTC had like some webinar and, and they knew about our conference. Now they erroneously called us industry. We are not industry. And I think our conference kind of emphasized that it wasn't industry. If you saw the, if you saw our list of speakers that we had, we um, had Janine from Canada. I mean, we had Kurt Yeo from South Africa, um, you know, they, these amazing consumer advocates. So, um, that I don't think industry would ever put them on a, at a conference, not saying that they're bad or anything, um, but I've been to a couple industry conferences and they like people in suits. But uh, um, it was cool to see at this webinar that they're like, you know, oh, they got a whole hotel, you know, booked in. Uh, and I was like, oh, are they talking about us? Because they were like by the industry. And and I was like, but we're not industry. We're a think tank. And then then I saw they had a, a screenshot come up and they had our website on there. And I was like, oh, OK, well, good cop is on cops radar. That's there is on cops radar. And we like to joke around that, you know, they were afraid of us. So um, well, it's that, definitely. I mean, well, it's definitely something too with the postponement. Like, you know, now that we know that, you know, that it, it was a, that I don't know. I mean, for the WHO to kind of know who me and Martin are, it's a little bit scary, but. I love the way they said they've booked, they booked a whole hotel. Well, we hadn't booked a whole hotel. We, but we booked a substantial part of it, but it wasn't a whole hotel, but they spoke as if this was a hard thing to do. I mean, where have they been for the last 20 years? I mean, you can find hotels on the internet, you can book them on the internet, you can ring them up, you find the number. It's not very difficult to do. And I think this is the contempt, I think, that the WHO shows, that anyone who's got a modicum of common sense um, obviously can't be a consumer because they're the only ones who can do it. Um, well, you know, they, they also, in that broadcast, it was corporate accountability, and they, they said that, Copwatch. There's a website called Copwatch, and and this was it's it it, it claims to be run by consumers, but um, it, it sort of it must be run by industry. Why? I mean, I read Copwatch all the time. It looks to me to be just a a bog standard WordPress blog site. I mean, you know, I I set up a, a blog myself in 2008. It wasn't very difficult. You if all you need is a computer and to understand how to use it. So do they really think consumers are that stupid that they can't set up a website for themselves? That just shows you the contempt these people have got for consumers and, and how they view themselves as somehow superior to everyone else in the world. And it's, it's an attitude which isn't helping them. They should be more inclusive. They should be talking to consumers rather than excluding them. And this is what infuriates consumers. And they, they, have, they are the ones who've got the, the most strong voice because Consumers are the stakeholder is most affected by what the WHO does. They should be involved in all the conversations. They should be allowed into the conference to give their point of view, but they're not. And uh, it just seems to me the WHO is getting increasingly um, absurd when it comes to consumers and downright um, dismissive of consumers, um, which is why we have such a good reaction from consumers when we said that we were going to Panama because they want to be there. They want people to do something and they're glad we're doing it. So, yeah, that's um, that, that kind of just shows up the whole the whole process as something that is just dismissive for consumers. But we're going to be there. And so are consumers and so are think tankers. So are some doctors and we're going to have um, academics and everyone's going to be there presenting the truth about harm reduction, not the skewed version of it that the WHO would like to present to the world. Now, I mean, it's pretty clear that they have demonstrated disgust for smokers and it's, it verges on that for nicotine vaping consumers. 
Yes. Well, the, the people who smoke, so Skip doesn't get mad at you. <laughs> um, <laughs> um, but they, yeah, they, it's, it's honestly, it's their disdain towards tobacco in general. I mean, tobacco is like this big bogey man to them. Um, and, you know, I think it's amazing that Big Tobacco was kind of forced to actually change their products. God knows governments have been trying to get them to do it for years. And no, it's the consumers. Welcome to a free market and how and how this works, people. I mean, it doesn't you don't people are going to want what they want. It doesn't matter what government policy you put into it. That's how you have illicit markets um, exist. But they have this complete disdain towards the tobacco industry. And so anything associated that they think it's tobacco, they're automatically, oh, it's big tobacco and they can't be involved with it. Um, you know, and it's that the I mean, you can explain it more, Martin, the whole one of the articles. Um and there can and what really bothers me too on that is because they are automatically tying vaping to tobacco and it's no Vaping was a consumer-driven revolution, and it's still one of the coolest things that I've ever worked on just to watch that technology and it explode. Um, and actually that the consumers did, you know, force, you know, big companies to actually change their products. So it's just it's just the WHO come demonizing more, um, you know, I, the the and also it's really because they're disdain for the tobacco industry. It's really frustrating because, you know, tobacco. Any other, you know, a car, I always bring it up to like car manufacturers. We're trying to push them to go EV. You're pretty much telling tobacco that they can only, you know, sell cancer sticks. It's like telling Volkswagen that they can't make an electric vehicle. They got to use something from 1930s using diesel, which diesel is actually a little bit better, which we found out on stuff. But um, anyways, it's just. It's just it's very and it's very sad because the science is all getting lost. I mean, this is a cool technology. You do have the science showing that it is significantly less harmful than combustible cigarettes. Yet nobody knows that, and it's it's just it's just it, and it frustrates me. I don't even know. Like I I could talk in circles all day about this. It's just like we've lost the science argument, um, and it's turned into this. You know. It seems that when you look at anything that's done in in the space of vaping, it's no longer about testing our hypothesis and determining, you know, with a conclusion. It's pretty much like, oh, my hypothesis. I'm gonna just leave stuff out until my hypothesis is correct. Pick and choose yeah, what I want. It's, yeah, it's um they 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 accuse consumers of being of acting to further the interests of the tobacco industry. So if the tobacco industry is saying we're making harm reduction products now, well, consumers have, have been saying that for years, you know, because we've experienced them, we've used them ourselves and we know they work. Uh, and we know they work all over the world. We've seen what happens in Japan. We've seen what happens in Sweden. We've seen what happens in the UK with a decline in, in smoking rates because of uh, vaping products. So we know that and we're advocating for ourselves. But the WHO wants to reduce that to, and say that it's we're acting in the it, to further the interests of the tobacco industry and therefore dismiss dismiss us and that's what they, they're doing. Um, they also have this saying where they say you know, the interests of industry is an irre irreconcilable conflict. They call it so. Um, if an industry is is trying to you know make less harmful products, um, they're not they're doing it for profits and they should be ignored. Um, but that irre irreconcilable industry, irre irreconcilable conflict is completely proven wrong by what happened in Sweden in the 70s, where a guy called Kurt Enzel first um, decided to put snus into a little tea bag uh, and uptake of snus went through the roof. And that guy has probably saved more lives in Sweden over the years than the WHO ever has. Right. Uh, because and and so and he did that as part of an industry. He did that as part of Swedish Match, a tobacco company. And now we've seen we've seen in in Sweden the how low their smoking rates are and how low their lung cancer rates are compared with the rest of Europe. They're forty percent lower. But the WHO is denying all this and saying no, 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 no. Um, industry can't do anything like that. You know, it's only we can do it, and the only way. We, we, the only way everyone should do it is by taxes and bans and restrictions. And as we spoke about earlier with Panama, well, that doesn't quite work because Panama has a massive illicit market and people are still buying cigarettes, but they're not, they're getting by the taxes, they're getting around the regulations. And, but, the, but the WHO doesn't seem concerned about that. It's only interested in implementing regulations, nothing else. You mentioned, Martin, the irreconcilable conflict. And, you know, if you go to 
the actual framework convention of tobacco control, it's Article 5.3 that's the real operator here. We talk about it often on our show. And in Article 5.3, it starts with a guiding principle, which states there is a fundamental and irreconcilable conflict between the tobacco industry's interests and the public health policy interests in setting and implementing their public health policies with respect to tobacco control parties shall act to protect these policies from commercial and other vested interests of the tobacco industry in accordance with national law. So if FDA says nicotine vaping products is a tobacco product, if health Canada says it is a tobacco product and other health organizations around the world like WHO say, boom, it's tobacco product, then it falls directly into this 5.3 and everything else. And pretty much they're treating nicotine products as combustible tobacco companies. Yes. And they're completely disregarding the continuum of harm. Um, and, the, and, and, you know, here in the States, we our FDA directors that, you know, acknowledge this misperception, misperception that, you know, people have of nicotine. And yet, the, you know, the agency said five years ago that it was working on, you know, promoting the policies to explain to people that, you know, tobacco products exist on a, a continuum of harm with combustible cigarettes being the most harmful and, and our nicotine replacement therapy uh, therapy being the least harmful and e-cigarettes are a little bit, you know, the harm posed by them. It's a little bit more than NRT, but significantly less than cigarettes. And yes, by classifying them all as the same product, you are essentially, again, getting lost in the science on, you know, helping people transition to safer products. But what I don't also get on the with the WHO, and I think I mean I think it's you see it in some federal regular regu regulatory agencies in the way that they're set up. It, they tell governments to tax these problem these products, these cigarette products to discourage their use, but you end up having these governments relying on this for revenue. So there is no at some point the governments are never going to be able to really get rid of cigarettes because they're going to lose millions of dollars a year in taxes. So it's just kind of ridiculous on the policies that they want to do i mean uh, like i i taxes i guess could sometimes be useful i know in the data that i see here in the states they disproportionately you know um impact low income low educated people um and i haven't really seen a great reductions in smoking rates among those people compared to people who are high income so yes there is this problem with the this this the, the article 5.3 i think it's the same thing as the way that the fda can't in the states, the FDA can't um, approve a tobacco product because it would indicate that they're not harmful or something. So it simply authorizes them. And I think that adds to a lot of misconfusion. And then again, it goes back to that. I mean, all these a lot of policymakers look up to these agencies like they're, you know, the saviors and everything that they're doing is right. And it's just completely, totally wrong um, because of, you know, the the science and yes and because they you know oh you're big tobacco we don't care you you, you have to be wrong but here keep selling cigarettes we but really it, need them it doesn't it go though to crazy extremes like they use this to exclude consumers uh from the events for no reason to just being consumers but then if you're a retailer of vaping products and happen to be an activist you can't go because you're tobacco meanwhile you're spending your entire life uh, Maria Papaya Wanyu, somebody that I think about often with that in Canada, because, you know, she's been stamped as tobacco and can't participate, um, but yet she's one of the biggest advocates for harm reduction, tobacco harm reduction around. Martin, share with us briefly the extent in which WHO and this 5.3 can just be crazy. And that was the Interpol example. Yeah, I mean, it's important to say that the article 5.3 um when you boil it down it's a it's a very clever thing they've set up it, it basically wants it's designed specifically to silence silence debate i mean that's basically what it is they know if they have the debate then they will lose because they're increasingly looking absurd now when it comes to harm reduction it there may have been a case for article 5.3 uh back in the day when tobacco industry was only making combustible products and they were they were misbehaving but now all article 5.3 
does is it restricts debates that should be happening. It is stopping conversations that should be happening for the benefit of public health. And it's massively counterproductive. Um, the, the thing with Interpol was probably um, one of the most absurd things uh, that happened where Interpol were banned from coming to COP conferences because they they had meetings with the tobacco industry. But Interpol had meetings with the tobacco industry to try and stop illicit trade. Why would a police force not be talking to an organisation to stop illicit trade? I mean, and and this is one area where really if 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 the WHO and tobacco control in general were an honest endeavour, they would be talking to tobacco industry because their goals align perfectly on this. Because, um, you know, if, if the WHO wants to have all these laws to stop smoking taxation and, and, uh, and, and things like that, then illicit trade gets around that and makes their regulations pretty pointless. Uh, at the same time, industry wants to eradicate illicit trade because it affects their profits. They should be sitting down and talking to each other. But the WHO and tobacco control industry have, have, have so turned their guns on industry rather than acting in the benefits of public health that those conversations aren't happening. Um, and, it, and it's just counterproductive for, for, for everyone. And every government around the world is, is infected by these people placing Article 5.3. And yeah, it is now getting to the point that because they're saying, you know, tobacco industry is bad, and therefore, if consumers are, are saying the same things as the tobacco industry, they must be paid by the tobacco industry, which is not true. There was an example of this in Thailand, where um, a very small uh, consumer association uh, was saying the same things as the tobacco industry, because the tobacco industry is talking about harm reduction. And, and, and the big guns of the WHO came down and just smeared this tiny, uh, it, it was so tiny, it's, I think it's just one person in Thailand. And they just smeared the guy and they're just trying to destroy him. Where at the end of the day, he's, he's someone the same as all of us who were, were former smokers, started using a less harmful product, thought this has saved my life. I want to advocate so smokers can have the same uh, experiences I've had. And they've tried to cancel him. That's not helping public health. That's nothing about health. That's more just silence in the opposition. And they throw Article 5.3 like a weapon. They misapply it. At the end of the day, if you read the actual article, all it says is you have to be transparent about your dealings with industry. It doesn't mean you silence every person in the world who opposes what the WHO says. And when the WHO isn't even taking the science seriously and it's cherry picking what it wants of science, it really is bad that they're not having conversations which should be had. And if they really cared about public health, that's what they'd be doing, but they don't. Well, and I think that often people bring up the fact that the COP for climate change certainly doesn't fall along the same lines. I mean, it's going on, I believe right now, or it's starting today in Dubai. So we're talking about a massive, the whole, you know, the UAEA is a massive, massive fossil fuel uh, kingdom. And so what the hell, you know, for us, we can't, you can't, if you're, if you happen to be somebody who sells vapes, you can't have a voice, but for on climate change, more power to you to fuss fuel can be involved. Yes. Yeah. The, the fossil fuel companies are involved with that one. It's not just that. I mean, it's, it, the WHO's FCTC conference uh, has completely different rules than any other UN organizations uh, meetings. Um, every UN meeting that they have, um, consu not consumers, uh, the public is invited to attend. You just have to write to them and say, I'd like to attend and watch what you're talking about. And they just want to know your name and when you're going to be there and you come along. Uh, WHO's FCTC uh, conferences are the only ones that the UN organise which bars consumers and the public from attending. Um, you have to jump through all sorts of hoops. You have to agree with everything that they they say. You know, you, if you disagree with just one aspect of WHO policy, they won't let you come, and that's 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 absurd. It's totally absurd. And 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 like I said, it's completely different from any other UN process. It's 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 unique in what it does compared with other UN uh, processes. Yeah. Oh, and it's it's definitely it's it's frustrating uh, to say the least. Um, 
The one thing I wanted to ask you, and we're getting close to wrapping up here, is back to this language issue. So if they've been so effective by, you know, deeming uh, vaping products to be a tobacco product, aren't they actually now going that extra step, like with the aerosol uh, being smoke? I mean, aren't we witnessing right now the logical extension of this? And I mean, that's just a death blow if they're able to just deem uh, vapor to be smoke. Oh, it'll have far-reaching consequences on it. To some, I mean, it's been interesting to see. I mean, the UK is a member of the FCTC, but they're still, you know, promote. They're giving away vapor products, so. Um, which the only good thing about that treaty is that they really don't have an enforcement mechanism. So a lot of it is in a lot of the ways that they're going to, you know, come after countries who don't, who don't do what they think that they should do is just pretty much just publicly shame them. But it's not like the WHO is in charge of handing out money or anything to these, um, to these countries. And I mean, as that's the whole goal too, with, you know, is urging the people to get in touch with their policymakers. So their policy people get in touch with the, the delegates uh, to point that out um, that, you know, the, the, the WHO does not, there is not aligning like tobacco harm reduction, especially the UK, you know, you're, you're, you were, were supposed to have representatives there that could have, you know, be on the ground. And, you know, when they're trying to like, oh, these are just, you know, they're sitting there in the conference and then, you know, e-cigarettes are just as bad as, you know, cigarettes. You could have these delegates be like, no, no, they're not. Um, that, you know, we've seen wonders in our country with it. In fact, we actually just gave out, you know, a million e-cigarettes away or New Zealand or, you know, Sweden. Um, it would be nice to see an American representative be a little bit more friendly, but I highly doubt that that would have been be the case, even though they're not really a member. Um, they're just a signatory of the of the treaty. But I mean, it has far reaching. Um, I, I think ultimately, if they do reclassify smoke, um, it, it's just going to once again add to even more confusion. Um, and I think that if they can keep doing that, I think that's what they're doing instead of they're not even looking into the science of harm reduction because oh, they're under the impression that it's big tobacco hooking a new generation of kids. Um, they're not even looking at the evidence. I mean, I think Martin brought it up, you know, the other day that even these empower policies that they do, um, nobody really checks to see how effective they were. Um, it's people who like me who work at think tanks that will sit there and then just go through the numbers and sit there and see if there was a reduction. And no, we're not biased. We're not getting our numbers from I, mean, I get my numbers from government sources and everything. So um, not that they like to listen to them anyways. Um, but <laughs> yeah, I think that there's not. It's right to be where I think I'm as much as I can that the WHO, I think, is a big threat. I also I don't take them too seriously. Um, and like I said, thank God for their blunder on COVID that more other people have seen the incompetency and they can look at them a little bit skeptically when they're telling them to do it's something. It's important to point out with this, this, this um, idea of redefining smoke shows the desperation of the WHO because um you just can't redefine a scientific um, definition of something which is part of the laws of physics. Um, you, you know, serious serious delegations of, from serious countries should turn up and say, this is absurd. You cannot just make up your own de definition of what smoke is. There is a scientific definition of smoke and that's not it. The reason they're doing it, we know the reason they're doing it is because the, uh, the uh, FCTC treaty specifically speaks about how they want to tackle the harms of tobacco and tobacco smoke. And so the only way they can, they shouldn't even be talking about vaping products. They shouldn't be talking about nicotine pouches um, because they're, they're not smoke. You know, there might be an argument that they want to sort of talk about uh, heated tobacco or, or, you know, or products like that, but they, they should really be looking at them for their harm reduction potential. But that's a different argument. But there is no such thing as smoke from a vaping product. There's no such thing of, of smoke from a nicotine pouch. And yet they're talking about nicotine pouches and trying to, and trying to get it into this, this COP10 discussion. They shouldn't even be talking about it. It's an international treaty. The wording is clear. It's about smoke. So they're trying to redefine smoke. And I'm 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 hopeful that that some countries like the UK, like others, New Zealand, some sensible countries will say, come on, you can't do that. That's ridiculous. We know what smoke is and it's not what you're trying to pretend it is. But like I said, it shows the desperation of these people and and their and their delusion that they can actually do something like that. 
Well, let's just hope the pushback uh, will be successful. Thank you very much, uh, both of you, for coming on the show today. Thank you for having us. And follow on good top. Yeah, you bet. And uh, just a reminder to everybody that we'll be back at this again in February with both Lindsay and Martin uh, with RegWatch Live coverage from Feb 5 to Feb 9. So thanks again, guys. I really appreciate your time today. Any last words for our viewers? Um, contact your policymakers to contact the delegates. You have now, what do we have? We've got, uh, let me find it. 67 days till, till cop time. So yeah, that's, you know, just a few months away. And Martin, I, if I you could, say, sorry, just Martin, if you could say. tell Martin, sorry, if you could just sorry. tell people how to find that list of people that they should email. You should be able to find it pretty easy by Google. Just Google FCTC or WHO FCTC COP10 participants. They're called participants. And you'll find that it should be high up at the search list. And it's a PDF file and it tells you all the participants, all the delegates that are going, all the delegations. Um, and that was for the de minimis meeting, but they're largely going to be the same people. But it gives you the names of the people you can write to. It tells you what department they're in in your country. So find their email and send them a message. That's great. All right, guys. Thanks a lot.